0: You are listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit illinilife.org. So I don't know about you, but I personally did not have... I was preparing to teach, so I didn't didn't do unofficial this year. Um, But I just... uh, I get the feeling that we're all maybe a bit hungover in one way or another. I know a lot of us are sick, so we're going to put RiRi back on. And if you guys would just stand and kind of give me your best. It's like Christian dance moves. So yeah, all get up. We're just going to kind of shake it off. So get up, get up. I see people sitting. We won't start till so you get up. Back row, come on, stand, please. You can dance in your seat if you want, but put your hands up. Alright. You guys are kind of a, a stubborn people. You ever see the Peanuts uh, Christmas movie? I was hoping some of you would have done the. You know that one or this one? We got a lot of feedback today. That's what happens when you start off with Rihanna. So, all right. Well, for those of you that uh, don't know me, my name is Russell. I'm on staff with the Line of Life, and we are in the middle of a two-week series. What the middle? We're at the end. It's only two parts. So, we uh, we did part one last week, and we're doing part two today, and then it'll be over. Um, Wow, it went by fast. The series is called Your Boss is a Jewish Carpenter. And uh, for those of you that weren't here last week, we basically talked about this spectrum, right? The lazy boy to BlackBerry spectrum. So in regards to work, some of us are going to lean kind of lazy. We like to recline. And others of us are going to lean more workaholic, right? We we're always on our BlackBerry. I no don't have BlackBerry anymore, but um, there was a time... And then some of you are in the middle, right? You're, I need grab my water. Um, somewhere in the middle of that. For the lazy, we had to remember that work, oh gosh, I drank too fast. <coughs> Man, Rihanna really, really set things off in a bad way for me. All right, it's <coughs> my idea. We need to remember that work is good. And then for the the BlackBerry people, we need to remember that work is broken, right? If we're we're looking to work to be our our sole source of purpose and meaning. And work can and a lot of times work can be a cruel master, right? But fortunately for those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we now have a, a new master, a new Lord. And to stay modern, right, we updated our translation of the word master and lord to the word boss. And that's where we got our title. Your boss, Jesus, is a Jewish carpenter. So then this second part, right, if if that's true, then this is going to have a massive implication over how we actually work. If our boss is in fact Jesus, we're going to work differently. And it it feels weird to me, but this whole sermon is going to be application. So we're just going to jump right in, right? And to continue this boss metaphor, I'm going to call us employees. You know, we could call ourselves servants or slaves, but we're just going to use employees for today. And we're going to look at three main ways that employees of Boss Jesus work differently. We're going to see that we work spiritually. We work heartily. I love that word, heartily. And we, uh, we work on mission. So would you guys pray with me? Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son Jesus coming to this world and, and giving us um, salvation. And not just that, Lord, um, Your Son gives us a new a new way of thinking about work, and um, by committing to Him, we're we're able to find freedom, Lord. It's it's a great paradox, and we're so grateful for Your Son. Help us to uh, learn um, what it looks like to work different, and I just pray that um, Your truth would be proclaimed, and that anything that's not of You, Lord, would just be forgotten. So, we love You, God, and we're so grateful to come together and, and teach and. And learn in community amen all right so a couple Sundays ago Fred gave a sermon on generosity if you guys recall and he shared with us some pretty depressing statistics on the state of giving within American well really within global Christianity and the spark notes version of that is that a majority of Christians aren't giving much of anything right And we're we're passing up on this amazing opportunity to do a ton of good. And I think that the statistical reality of of our Christian stinginess, this is a a larger um, outworking of of a deeper problem. And it's that many Christians, many of us in this room, we have passed the buck when it comes to bearing the responsibility of the church. And we've drawn a line in the sand with regards to our work. And that line is really between the clergy and the laity, right? There's work that pastors and missionaries do, and then there's the work that regular people do. Pastors and missionaries do spiritual work, and then the laity, we do, you know, regular work, secular work. The trouble is this, in God's eyes, there is no division between the spiritual and the secular because to God, all work is spiritual. And um, we've been using this book, Every Good Endeavor is sort of our, uh, I don't know, compass, roadmap, choose your metaphor for this series. And uh, Timothy Keller, the author of this book, he really emphasizes the importance of acknowledging that all work is God's work. And he pulls his theology from the great reformer, Martin Luther, to make his point. And I love how Luther puts it. So let's just read straight from him. I'm going to have it on the screen behind me. Oh, you're reading ahead. Naughty, naughty. It is pure fiction that the Pope, bishops, priests, monks, campus missionaries of a line of life he, yeah weird right prophetic words from martin are called the spiritual estate while princes lords artisans farmers and students of the university of illinois are called temp, the temporal state this isn't an, uh, and i could just imagine martin luther saying this this is indeed a piece of deceit and hypocrisy yet no one need be intimidated by it and that for this reason All Christians are truly of the spiritual estate. And there is no difference among them except that of office. We are all consecrated priests by baptism. As St. Peter says, you are a royal priesthood and a priestly realm. There is no difference among them except that of office. Like any vocation, clergy like myself, we have a certain type of training and focus. But just because our focus is theology and caring for the sheep of God, that does not mean that the work we do is extra spiritual or more important. We all eat the same bread. We all say the same prayer asking for that bread. And we all rely on the same system to get that bread to us to again quote Luther, when you pray for daily bread, you are praying for everything that contributes to your having and enjoying your daily bread. You must open up and expand your thinking so that it reaches not only as far as the flour bin and baking oven, but also out over the broad fields, the farmlands, and the entire country that produces, processes, and conveys to us our daily bread, and all kinds of nourishment. And here's the truth, right? If, if we were all campus missionaries, nobody would be eating anything. We'd all just be like trying to like have one-on-one meetings and getting coffee and, and we'd all be teaching at the same time, right? And none of us would be eating because there's no farmers growing grain to make bread. We need a diversity of vocation in order for us to be a functioning society. And God has chosen to accomplish his purposes through a multitude of jobs. Our jobs, no matter what they may be, whether ministry or not, are all God's calling. Ways of doing God's work in the world, all ways through which God distributes his gifts to us. Even the humblest farm girl is fulfilling God's calling. As Luther preached, God milks the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. God raises up the next generation through the vocation of the parent. God builds a lead certified apartment through the vocation of the architect and civil engineer. God reveals beauty and mystery through the vocation of the artist. God milks the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. In Psalm 145, right, it says that God feeds every living thing. How does he do this? How does God do this today? It's through the farmer, through the baker, through the retailer, through the website programmer, the truck driver, and to all who contribute to bring us food. And as employees of Boss Jesus, we need to fight for this truth that we work spiritually. And it's my responsibility and my vocation as as a teacher of God's Word today to remind you that what I'm doing up here, what I'm doing today for a living, is not any better or any holier or any more Christian than what you may be doing for your living. It's just a specific vocation that God placed before me and he's going to place a specific vocation before you. And friends, I'm telling you, it's the, it's the only way that we can do this next step to work heartily, right? It's the only way that, that we can understand and really appreciate what Paul says in Colossians 3.23 when he says this. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Do you see it? The ways we work differently. Now, a lot of people tell. Okay, so as I've been talking to people about this sermon, I say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm doing a series on work," and literally. Nine out of ten people are like, oh, hey, you should uh, talk about uh, Colossians 3.23. You know that one? Like, yeah, I know that one. It's like the go-to verse on work, right? We all love it or hate it if you're a lazy boy. But uh, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I really didn't want to get into Colossians 3.23 because of what comes before it in verse 22. Because if any of you are going to go into your Bible and read around Colossians 3.23, you're gonna see this, right? Colossians three twenty-two. It says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And we know from last week that bondservant can also be translated as slave. And this is where Colossians 3.23 gets complicated. Is the Bible condoning slavery? Is Paul condoning slavery? Is the ancient Greco-Roman society, their way of slavery, is it the same as the European and American slave trade of the past 500 years? And to make life even more complicated, Susie is timing me. And I don't really have the time to get into this controversial topic because I don't want to make her mad. But I think it's important. And I I just wanted to say a couple things about it quickly. Because in in order for us to really appreciate what what Paul is saying in in Colossians 3.23, we need to understand its context. And I just want to say very emphatically, when it comes to the American slave trade, the, the kind of slavery that we're most familiar with, the Bible does not condone the kidnapping and the selling of people of any people Exodus 21:16 puts it very plainly whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death as well in Galatians Paul dismisses the distinction between slave and free saying they are united in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile slave nor free male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus and again Paul in his letter to the Corinthians he tells slaves if they can gain their freedom they should and unfortunately many Christians have misused the bible many American Christians misuse the bible to defend slavery in the states and it is clearly unbiblical What we need to remember with Paul is that the the reality of the context that he was writing is that he knew that there would be people in his churches who were slaves and who were bondservants. And he wanted to give these people instructions from the Lord. But I don't want to sanitize the reality of these people's existence. Many of the slaves in that ancient Greco-Roman world, they were what is called a bondservant, Right? So they were someone who was in a debt, financially usually to a master, and they were working off their debt as a servant. And, and one day they would be free. But we also have to recognize that some of these slaves and bond servants might have been conquests of war. And we can never know for sure if any of the slaves that Paul addresses were kidnapped. But I, I don't want us to assume that just because Paul gives instructions to slaves that it's him endorsing slavery. So like I said, I, I, re, I really wanted to skip this passage because of its messy context, but I mean, it's the go-to verse on work. And I, and I just kept thinking to myself, man, Paul has a lot of gall, that rhymed, to tell a slave that whatever he is forced to do, he has to do it as unto the Lord and not unto men. I mean, that's a punch to the gut. <laughs> like, I've thought that my job is bad or, or hard. I worked at a corner bakery and I when I was in high school and I'd be like, oh, these hungry people are so mean and terrible. But but Paul is telling a slave to work heartily as unto the Lord. No matter how bad we might think our job is, God doesn't look at it like that, right? He can be glorified through your work. And not only that, but God promises justice in the end. In Colossians 3.25, he says, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Paul knew that for a lot of these slaves and bond servants, there was really no hope of it ending. And he knew that a lot of them were being mistreated. And what does he do? He appeals... To God, the good and righteous judge who will pay back wrongs that are committed against his people. Paul's hard words then, they propose a shift in our end goal. It isn't to make tons of money or in the circumstance of the bond servant, it isn't even to earn your eventual freedom. The point of work is that by working for the Lord, you will ultimately receive an internal inheritance. That's what it says, right? From the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. And what is this inheritance? It's a thing that that none of us really spend much time thinking about. It is eternal life found through our Lord and our Savior, our boss, Jesus Christ. And it's this gift of eternal life, this inheritance of eternal life. That's what gives the slave motivation. It's what gives the delivery man motivation. Eternal life is what gives the cook and the teacher motivation. The engineer, the pastor, the CEO, the inventor, all of us should be motivated by the inheritance of eternal life. Because if we think with that eternal perspective, there's no job that we can do that that is going to be unworthy of us. And if God has the audacity to call a slave to work heartily, how much more is he calling us the privileged, educated, self-actualized American to go out and to work heartily as unto the Lord? Now, we just spent sort of two of our points thinking about how we should be working. But for this last point, I wanted to share with you an exhortation for um, the where, where you should be working. And I think for a lot of us, we're not really thinking about this. So I just wanted to kind of camp out on this idea for a couple minutes. So I think for, for many of you, the primary factor that dictates where you work will be where you find a job, right? It's kind of logical. Um, you apply to different companies, and, and where you, where like this intersection happens, where you can find the highest pay kind of aligned with your professional ambitions, you're going to take that job and you're going to move to wherever that job is. Now, others of you might have a little more flexibility, and you're going to make your decision on where you work based on kind of pragmatic lifestyle factors. So, do I want to live in a big city or a little town? Do I want to live by the ocean or the mountains or by the corn and soy fields of our great land here in Champaign? Do I want to live close to my parents or do I want to live far from my parents? Right? You're kind of basing your choice somewhere, just based on kind of what you want. And then there's the more desperate of you, right? Where you'll pretty much live anywhere and you might even do pretty much anything just to get paid right and what what i want to propose to you might sound a little radical but I, i'm convinced of its truthfulness and it's this employees of boss jesus we work on mission and in in light of this i want to propose to you that the primary factor The thing that needs to be the most important consideration when you are deciding where to live is this question. Will this location allow me to fulfill the Great Commission? During college, you have been forced to focus and obsess over the what that many of you will never spend any time thinking about the where and how this factor can deeply impact your spiritual life there have been so many alumni of this church that have moved to locations that have been spiritual deserts, that have been very isolating and that have been filled with thorns that eventually choked out their seeds of faith so this really is a matter of life and death right that that the employees of jesus would find a place where they can be on mission and live in a robust community of fellow believers it is really the only way we can fulfill the first two points to work spiritually and to work heartily, right? It's that we're we're connected to the vine. But you you might be thinking, okay, Russ, you're asking me to let a Bible verse, a Bible verse dictate where I move. Are you mental? Yeah, I am mental. I'm mental for Jesus. And let's look at the Great Commission, and, and, and maybe you can get a little mental for him too. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Our boss, he has the authority, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. No matter how you spin it, right, this commission... Is for all Christians. But unfortunately, a lot of you have decided that you can't really be bothered with making disciples. You can't be bothered with baptizing people. And you definitely cannot be bothered with teaching people Jesus' commandments. I mean, let's leave that up to the professionals, right? No, you guys are the professionals. We're all professionals. We're a royal priesthood of professionals. We all have the same spirit. We all have the same ability to make disciples. And a lot of times, you're going to be better at making a disciple and teaching someone about Jesus than I am. This command is for all of us. We, we have to be bothered by it. And it has to be your first priority. I would go as far to say, if you're given a job offer in an area that you realize you will have no viable prospects for Christian community, I would exhort you to turn down that job offer. No matter how much money it is, there is nothing worth spiritual isolation. What use is it to gain the world, right, if you lose your soul? And in order to work on mission, you have to prioritize finding a body of believers that you can call your church family. And for many of us right now in this room, that family is Illini Life Christian Fellowship. We are your church family, and we are working on mission together. But a day is fast approaching, especially for the seniors in this room, that you're going to need to transition to something new. And I hope and I pray that you choose to elevate your relationship with Christ's body, the church, above your professional aspirations because i really do believe to be a successful professional you need to have that relationship with the lord in a good spot and the the best way to do that is amongst a body of believers so let's imagine it's the fall of your senior year right so for those of you that aren't seniors, you're going to need to pretend you're older, and for those of you that have graduated, just pretend you're you're back in college and don't break out in a cold sweat or anything. But uh, I'm wanting to paint a picture of a three-pronged fork in the road. Yeah, beautiful. You would be surprised how hard it is to find a picture of a three-pronged road. All roads that are pronged have two prongs. But I found one. It's not legally my image. I did add those numbers with the drop shadow, so kind of reappropriated it. But it's a little non traditional, right? And this crossroad, this three pronged fork, is what I'm suggesting to you to be three paths for you to work on mission as an employee of Boss Jesus. And it, it's kind of the three paths that you're going to be presented with when your time with the line of life comes to an end. So again, you're a senior, it's, it's May or whenever. And nicely enough, for the sake of memorizing, all of these prongs begin with the letter S. Yay, S. we give it up for S? Now when it comes to these microphones, S's are the absolute worst. So this will be fun. The, the the first of the prongs is staff. The second is stay. And the third is send. <laughs> I didn't know. Should it have been send or send? Does anyone know? Yeah? All right. Well, good. Okay, so let's talk about the first fork, right? Now, now this one might feel a little bit literal. But I truly believe with all my heart that there are some of you in this very room that may be called to come on staff with us at line Life. And in all honesty, it's probably not the most traveled path, but Augustine, can you go back to the picture? It, you see how there's that one path that has like tire treads and it's like really extreme looking? That's the staff path, I think. Yeah. It's like, it's a high-octane way of working on mission, right? And there's a lot of factors when thinking about staff, right? Like the first one is, do I feel called to like Wayne Wager? Because, you know, if you, if you don't like Wayne, you probably don't want to come on staff. I love Wayne. We, we, we are, are good friends. Right, Wayne? Oh, thanks. <laughs> I've been waiting seven years to hear that. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, another factor: Do I feel called to minister to mainly college students? Right, and I know you guys think like college students are great because you are a college student, but you know it it can get challenging at times, especially when you're maybe like you're 29 and everyone's 19, and they're like, well, "Why are you still here? You're an adult." And you're like, "Well, um, I don't really know anymore why I'm here." So, <laughs> and and lastly, yeah, it's a little insight into my my mind, right? Uh. Or another factor, do I feel called to raise thousands of dollars? Mm. No, I don't. (laughs) But but fortunately, right right now, we have nine people who have said yes. And two more of those people, Sarah and Sarah, let's give it up for them. They are out there raising their support. That's 11 people. You might be tempted to think, well, they have enough, right? But I, I would say no. We're always looking to multiply, we're always looking to, to grow, to plant, and with a campus of over 60,000 people, 11 staff isn't that much, right? I don't really think there should be a limit in our minds to how big this team can be. And personally, very personally to me, the last male, the last man to join our staff team joined back in 2012, and that person was me, right? Right? And I'm not saying this to detract from our Sarahs or to downplay the role of what Brooke and Susie and Ashley do on our team. The women of our team are are really important, and we've gotten a a massive influx, right? But I'm acknowledging that five years is a long time. And I would love to see some of the young men in this room make a a financial sacrifice and take a risk of becoming a full-time missionary. This campus is full of broken men, right? We, we saw this all this past weekend. Broken men who are trying to find their hope in sex and alcohol and money. And I am convinced that God wants to use some of you to be missionaries to these lost boys. Now, I'm a realistic person, right? I'm not expecting there to be this massive influx of interest in full-time ministry. It is a specialized field. And I believe it is dependent on a, a calling, a specific calling from God. Unfortunately, though, I, I think many of you have become too reductionistic in your thinking. And you go, well, if, if I'm not going to come on staff, then there's no really real way I can stay a part of a line of life after college. But that's simply not true, right? You you can stay and work in this town and, and you can stay on mission with a line of life. And that first year after you graduate might be slightly awkward but it also can be a very natural transition into working on mission in the greater Champaign-Urbana area. Now many of you have probably interacted with someone who has graduated and and stayed and if you were like me when I was a student you might have been caught off guard. Why in the heck would anyone stay in Champaign-Urbana after they graduate? Well, sometimes it's, it's just because we found a dope job in town. You know, there's dope jobs here, cool stuff to do here, research park, right? Do people say dope anymore? Michael said, yeah, everyone else said no. <laughs> I say dope. It's kind of a 90s term. So start saying it. The 90s are back. So yeah, you got this dope job, or, or maybe uh, other times it's an intentional sacrifice to stay. Your, your job isn't that dope, right? But you love the U of I and its students. And for for others, it's just because they really love the mission of line of Life. And they want to stay connected. And the cool thing is this. If you choose to stay, you can start calling yourself a tent maker. I'm a tent maker. Like the good old Apostle Paul who spent part of his life making tents while he worked on mission, right? And I got to tell you, I I love our tent makers. I I really do. These are the people that open up our homes on the weekends and host our fellowships. These are the people that open up their hearts and offer us relationship advice and wisdom when it comes to, to getting married and when it comes to doing premarital counseling. Our tent makers have wisdom in regards to financial planning and buying a house or negotiating a salary. They've raised families and they want to help you raise one too. Our tent makers are here because they love you. They love the students of this church. And what a cool opportunity it could be for you to become one of those tent makers after you graduate. And you can reach out to that freshman or sophomore and come alongside them. In the recent past, our tent maker population has shrunk as people have moved for a variety of reasons. And... I just want to challenge you with this. We need more tent makers. We want more of you to choose to stay with us because you play a huge role in this ministry. I was a tent maker for a little over two years, and I was working as a designer, and it was very rewarding. It was challenging, it was tiring, but it was ultimately very rewarding, and it was a great way to work on mission. Now, the third and final fork in the road is going to be the most popular fork, it's sent. Now, for many of you, you're breathing a sigh of relief, right? No. Oh, thank you. Thank God. Russ is giving us an option to get the heck out of town. And just purely statistically, right, most of you will be leaving. It's expected, and it's something we're actually excited about. Looking at the account of the Great Commission in Acts, Jesus says this, right? He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, if we all stayed here in Champaign, right, we we wouldn't reach the end of the earth. And if the the early Christians would have never left Jerusalem, we wouldn't have faith here in America. None of us would probably be Christians. So for many of you, the good and godly decision for where you can work on mission is going to be somewhere else. And there might even be some of you that go into full-time ministry but you do that with a different church or a different organization or in a different country. And that's great. I love that. Here at Illini Life, that's what we're striving for, right? We're striving for that when you decide to graduate and move that you can be sent. But in order for us to send you, you have to want to be sent, right? And you have to start asking that question, what does it really look like to be sent. I think more important most importantly, right? A sent person prioritizes the people of God. And I've been banging this drum this whole sermon, right? Once you know where you're going to be working, there's going to be an endless amount of variables involved in where you choose to live, where you choose to find out a home or an apartment. But I would just plead with you again and again and again When you're looking for a house or an apartment, evaluate what types of churches are nearby and whether or not there will be a community of believers that you can belong to. Don't sacrifice your connection to the body of Christ for the sake of a higher paycheck or a cooler neighborhood. It will kill your soul. And and we can trust as well, Jesus is not going to let you become a homeless Christian, right? He will provide. Why wouldn't he provide a church? But it's your responsibility to seek it out. And then, secondly, a sent person is constantly looking for opportunities to make disciples. The thing about getting older, you'll you'll soon come to realize, is that there are all of a sudden people that are younger than you. And it's a little troubling at times, but kind of cool as well. Don't squander this opportunity to disciple a younger believer and take them under your wing. You can do this no matter where you live, no matter where you work. And you might even find this person at your job. I've met one too many lifeless, middle-aged Christians who are not mentoring anybody. And it breaks my heart and it makes me angry because they're withholding a gift to the next generation of Christians. And I pray that you... Teenagers, wherever you are, whatever your age, that when you get older, that you will be different and you will prioritize discipling a younger believer and teaching them about Jesus. That's how we're sent, right? You can make disciples wherever you go. You can fulfill the Great Commission wherever you go. But we need to choose to work on mission. So I'd like to invite the band up to close. So friends, um, your boss, right? is in fact, a Jewish carpenter, and his name is Jesus. and Jesus is calling you to work spiritually, to work heartily, and to work on mission. And it's such an amazing paradox, right that through through bondage to our merciful master Jesus, we don't find the spirit of slavery. Rather, we find a spirit of freedom. We find life and life to the full. And we find purpose greater than ourselves. Our Jesus is not a cruel taskmaster placing impossible demands. Rather, he is a generous and gracious employer, giving us work to do that we're not normally capable of doing. But by the gift of his grace and through the power of his spirit, we find the ability to fulfill his purposes our boss Jesus he bought you at a great price the cross right he shed his blood he died for you he bore the sins of the whole world on his shoulders and he redeemed you through that death on that cross and because Jesus bought you for a great price so then glorify God with your body so let's do this right now. Let's, let's glorify God with our body, body and with our mouths and with our breath and with our lungs and let's stand and let's sing and worship our King Jesus.